hello. Uh, today I'm joined by Jacob Rucker. Um, some may know you. He's been a longtime JB community member and listener for a long time. Uh, uh, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much for reaching out to me. To uh, You've got a little bit of um, a, a pretty deep connection to the JB community. So um, I am really looking forward to learning about that story and diving into it. Um, tell me a little bit about where you are now. Um, so currently in Boise, Idaho, which is like uh, the people here are like Canada nice is a good way to describe it. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yep. And my wife's Canadian, so oh, yeah? I, I think I can say that. Yes, yes. Hmm, the connections. We already have connections. We're like 10 seconds in. <laughs> well, it works out pretty well, you know, like, but she's from the other part of Canada. She's she's over in Alberta, and I think you're in the East Coast area or East side of Canada. I am north of Toronto, so I'm in Ontario. I'm north of Toronto in a place called Sudbury, but I'm in Eastern, Eastern time zone, so... So you reached out to me and, uh, which I really appreciated and said, Hey, I've been, I've been listening to some of the conversations you've been having with people on, on brunch with Brent. And I think I might have a little bit of a story to tell that the community might appreciate. Um, and we chatted a little bit about what that story was and I kind of stopped you and said, no, 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 no don't tell me anymore. I want to, uh, I want to have this be a really nice chat. That story, at least the parts that I heard sort of really hit me as really meaningful for you. And uh, I just wondered if you wanted to start telling that story. So I started listening to JB. It must have been 2008. I think I was still living in Utah at the time. And um, found it because a friend of mine posted, I think, Linux Action Show on Facebook or something like that. He, and it got me interested in it. And and previous to that, my experience with Linux um, was actually, so I, I was in the Army for 20 years and I went to Iraq twice and then Afghanistan once. And uh, the second time we went to Iraq, one of the things we were doing is there was, you know, your troop size changes. And so the footprint for support changes. So we were taking some old servers um, out of system and I was repurposing them to build a, a kind of a computer lab to train folks on, you know, how that technology worked. And uh, I couldn't get a Windows Server 2003 um, installation disk because they were very controlled by our IT department, you know, licensing and whatnot. And Ubuntu had come out at the time, right? And so it was like, okay, well, let's try this thing. And so I, I ended up diving in and the internet was so slow. How slow is slow? Uh, our backbone was no more than um, 768K. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, that puts it into context. Right. Um, I mean, it was 2005, right? We downloaded Ubuntu on that bandwidth speed, and and then and I even downloaded SUSE at the time as well, and started playing with you know what can I do with these? How can I repurpose them to teach you know my my soldiers some basic skills on this stuff? How had you heard about Linux in the first place? There was a National Guard unit that was there, and one of the guys had said, "Hey, try this." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know most of us have come to it that way. It's like someone else just like had a quick conversation with us and said, you've got to really like, this is going to work for you. It's so thankful that those moments happen. Right. Right. And it was, it was cool. Um, and then later on in college, uh, and, and this is how I started getting back into Linux. I was really excited, uh, to get a new computer for myself for all my work at college. And it was, you know, I love technology, been online since like 93, 94 with Prodigy's network originally and stuff. Um, and so I love what technology empowers people to do. And so at college, I was really excited because I was going to get this machine that was built for Windows Vista. Mm -hmm. And it was built for Windows Vista. 
and it didn't work. <laughs> it was so frustrating. I think many of us have been there, right? <laughs> so what I learned from that is I learned that you can't just accept somebody else's all-in-one experience. You've got to kind of figure things out. So I knew Linux was a solution back when I was in the army trying to repurpose servers. And it's like, all right, let's throw it on this. You know, it was a Lenovo R series thing. So I threw it on there and did a bunch of my college work there. And then we ran, uh, Linux for years, cut the cord, you know, in 2008. And just once I started listening to all the JB shows, it wasn't, it wasn't just listening to Chris and the team as far as the shows they were producing. It was kind of that extra content that they do on the side that this show is, or this channel, extras.show is really embodying because Jupiter at night was a lot of fun. And then kind of, you know, some of the outtakes and things like that. And then, um, you know, I grew up kind of isolated in Connecticut, um, when I was in high school. And so there were like three nerds in the whole high school that you could talk computers with. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so being able to be in a space where I could listen to and start hearing that conversation to learn more about it. And then thanks to Chris, I've rewatched the entire back catalog of the computer chronicles. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I don't know if they still show that on the live stream, but they used to when they didn't have a whole lot of uh, self-generated content. So I've watched a lot of that stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I'm going to, I'm going to rewind you there for a second. So you were telling the story of trying Ubuntu on those servers. Um, but you mentioned something that I want to um, ask you a little bit more about. You you mentioned that um, you wanted to teach some of the soldiers some basics in computing. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when the army trains you, they train you, or they trained us on what uh, we call POTS telephone systems now. So plain, plain old telephone, uh, telephone systems. And um, they were modernizing when we were in Iraq in 2005, 2006. They were going to a fiber backbone in the country. They were going all data. Everything was going to be over TCP IP, and they didn't teach us any of that. And so, um, uh, and they weren't going to either. And we were going to be there for a year and have to implement this stuff without knowing what the heck it was or how the technology worked. Really? And so they put me on the night shift and, and left me alone, which was good. Um, and so what I would do is I would spend, you know, my 12-hour shift at night researching as much as I could and building a training module. And then the next morning, stay awake for another two or three hours and train my guys on, hey, here's how TCP IP works. Here's how you can test it. Here's some Cisco routers that we had, you know, and switches that we had them program and, and learning VLANs and other things like that. So um, it was really helpful. And when I was finished uh and I, I left Iraq early to go to college, um, finish out my degree, which was really nice. But when I was finished doing that, um, one of the things that they did is they awarded me with a bronze star medal because all those folks that I had trained by the time they got out into different locations where they had to function as smaller teams, um, they were a lot more effective. And so I was really proud of having earned that award. Yeah. And it's kind of um, like self-motivated for sharing knowledge, right? Uh, it sounds like you just sort of were inspired to to share this knowledge and, and the effort that you put into it is really impressive. I've always been the sort of leader where I want to help other people be successful. And so I, I could see where things were going and I wanted to help the team be successful. And I'd read enough or learned enough um, that I could, I could start closing my knowledge gap and then build it into some sort of training. Um, it wasn't perfect and I didn't know what, all, you know, what, what should be in the, the whole box. Right. But I knew parts of the box and I could at least train that. Well, it sounds like in this case, even, even any parts is helpful. Right. And they can start to build those, those pieces together as they need. Yeah. Um, 
and it was it was cool. I mean, the equipment we had, I learned all kinds of stuff about radio frequencies. And uh, that National Guard unit I mentioned, they actually had a piece of equipment I have to nerd out with you about. It's called a, a tropospheric antenna. So it shoots a, a it's, it's pretty close to microwave frequency up at the um, troposphere. The signal bounces off of different parts of the troposphere and then back down. So you can actually do line of, it's kind of like line of sight, but it's, it does 300 miles. But reflective. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so being a longtime JB listener, when I, when I heard Noah and you hear him talk about nerding out about ham radio and amateur radio, it's like, oh, I get it. I know that stuff. You know, it's like, it's a lot of fun. Well, and a lot of those like technologies, um, the same style of interest or the same um, type of mindset that is required to have interest in it, like overlaps in those different areas, right? So a lot of us um, have interest in that kind of stuff. That's great. You mentioned that you got to leave uh, Iraq a little bit early to go to college. Fun story there. I'm the only person that ever graduated from Utah State University without applying for their major. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I, I was literally applying from Iraq and, um, you know, my tour was supposed to leave. It was supposed to be a 12 month tour and they had a program for green to gold activity. So they were going to make me an officer, but, and they were going to pay me while I went to school. So I applied for this program. Um, and very grateful that it existed. Uh, and in doing so, and, and with the time zone difference, cause I was in Iraq while I was applying, I didn't actually get to fill out all the paperwork the school required for picking your major. And I wanted it to be something with, with computers and communicating, and so they put me in the College of Humanities with a degree in communication studies. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what you were looking for, right? No, but I was so grateful to go and I learned so much. And and when I became an officer, the skills that I'd learned from that were great. And so, you know how you can always ask a programmer, you know, uh, what do they use at work, right? What's their language at work? And what's their language at home, right? So, so at work, it's soft skills, right? And then at home, it's jumping behind a computer, building something with a network, making Cat5 cable, which is one of the most relaxing things I do. It's like, it's like, I'm just going to build Cat5 cable for, for half a day, you know, type of thing. It's what I need. Yeah, it's what I need right now. <laughs> Orange, white, orange, green, white, blue, blue, white, green, brown, white, brown, clips away. You yeah, know, like I just, yeah that's, I've been there. <laughs> It's kind of meditative, right? Because you got to focus just enough that you can't think of anything else. And I don't try to be fast. I am not the fast guy in the room. I'm just the guy that can get it done. Um, Slow is smooth, right? In the army, we say slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So that was one of our things. Yeah. I was thinking about you and that the other day when I was trying to rush to get somewhere and I was like packing my laptop in my bag and things were flying all over the place. And I was like, okay. I know I'm trying to go fast, but this is just taking way longer than how I usually systematically like take my time to do it. Then I, I thought, of you, thought of you and I thought of that and I was like, okay, I'm just going to slow down. And then everything just went really great. So listening to JB from 2008, again, Jupiter at Night, some of those other shows that aren't there anymore, Cybite was great. See, these were before my time, or at least before I got connected to them. So uh, so I love hearing these little snippets about them from from longtime listeners. So, and I've always wanted to contribute. So for one episode of SciBite, um, I worked with my daughter's like third grade class or something like that, or second grade class to submit a question to the show. And we did that with video and it was fun. And Chris is, Chris is so great. He takes that audience feedback and content and really tries to work it in. And that was that was good. That must be a, like a special connection too, when you're a listener and you can, you can actually like provide some content. It feels really good because you want to contribute back to this community. Cause as, as we'll talk about, this community has meant an awful lot over the years, um, for what they've, what they've done for me. And I don't, I don't think they've taken the time to realize it. The army sent us to Georgia and then Germany. Georgia and Germany are two very different places. Right. So the next time I contributed to the show was in Germany. <laughs> um, and 
over there, it was hard to get Netflix uh, working and the cell phone companies over there are a little different than they have in the U.S. And so I ended up building a Linux server in my car. <laughs> I love where this is going. <laughs> which, which made it into an episode of Lass because I sent in the, the video of how I did that. Um, and it was totally not efficient, but it was, it was functional. It's like, all right, kids, we're throwing you in the minivan and we're going to Prague, right? Like it was, you know, they could, they were able to, to watch their shows off of that, you know, movie server in the car thing. So when Chris is at his like peak stress level for content for a Linux action show, and they had a week where they just couldn't produce anything, they grabbed that clip and they threw it as the episode of Lass. And I was like, so, so, so essentially I was a, I got to be a guest on Lass, which was fun. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was, that felt really good. I, I don't have that. And so um, there's another gold star for you. <laughs> I'm trying to make my way around the shows every three to five years. You know, that's basically what I'm doing here. <laughs> succeeding um well yeah uh but this this is a different story than those other contributions and i, I don't think uh there's parts of this that are going to be hard to talk about so so three deployments three times being away from family um there's some challenges that come with that so when i left uh so iraq the first time was interesting because it was during the invasion and you end up with a few cool war stories out of that. So war stories that you nobody minds sharing are ones where nobody gets hurt. And I've got a couple of those. Um, one of them was uh, when we got there, we had to take all of the ammunition, like artillery rounds. So these things are 155 millimeters wide, um, and they weigh about 90 pounds, and it's explosives and and whatnot. And we had and the rockets and the other things that Saddam had been stockpiling up for years, and they would put those in what we call an ammo holding area. And then we had to destroy them, right? So it wasn't me destroying them. I was the communications team, you know, across the street from these guys. But that team would go over and they'd grab a, a small stockpile and then put some more explosives on it and blow it up. And it would happen noon every day, right? So you knew what time midday was because there'd be an explosion. It's, it's kind of like a neat clock. And if you've ever been around an explosion, the guys on the show or the guys who are listening will know what I'm talking about. You feel your chest compress from the shockwave before you hear it. Um, which is cool. Wow. I haven't experienced that. It really gets your, your blood going. It's kind of cool. Um, so, so they were blowing this stuff up uh, across the street from us. Uh, and then um, something happened that wasn't supposed to. And instead of it just blowing up the small pile, it started blowing up the entire ammo holding area. Oh, no. The first thought I get is, is those videos you see of like firework production facilities when they have fires and it's just kind of like choo, choo, all over the place. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you've got an image for this, right? Right. This is, this is, this is good <laughs> for us. We had, you know, kind of a, a sand barrier or berm, you know, between us and them. So we couldn't really see, um, but we could start hearing like, Hey, that's a lot of explosions. They must really be aggressive. And then it gets just kept going. And we were like, Oh, this is not good. So they tell us to just leave our site, right? Leave the equipment on and just go. And I had two guys on guard duty inside of our little area. So we've got this small Humvee that's only designed to seat four. And we pull up to the guard area and I jumped down into the bunker that these guys were in. And I grabbed them and I said, get out of here, jump in the car right now. So I gave them one of my seats in the car and I'm in the back of this. Um, it would be like the equivalent of a pickup with one of the, the covers on the back, right? And I'm looking out the back as one of my dudes is just driving and he's flooring it. And I'm watching rockets come to our left and our right. And they ended up not landing anywhere near the truck, but there's there's a real feeling where you can see a rocket that looks like it's headed right your direction for, for a few seconds before it spins off and going somewhere else, which is pretty cool. When we got to a safe location, 
um, I used some of my uh, orienteering land navigation skills and calculated out the base of the smoke um, column that was there. And it was over a kilometer wide. So that's how much stuff was exploding. And it lasted until about one, two in the morning. <laughs> so it's like 12 hours. Yeah, it was, it was great. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a pretty good story. Nobody got hurt. So that's a fun story to tell. Um, bits, bits are real. And then so uh, the second deployment to Iraq was, again, that was the 05061, and I got to leave a little early and go to college. But it was so abrupt. Like I left, I left, you know, being in an environment where people wanted to kill you, um, you know, and, and then being on a college campus. And so I always kept my weapon on my, I'd strap it over my shoulder, right? And when I got to college, I would always make sure that I had a backpack, you know, just kind of strapped over my, my shoulders to kind of give me that. It, it, it's, it's like my sense of security, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. That helped out. Um, and then Afghanistan was interesting, right? So Afghanistan was, a a really hard deployment. Um, I bought the internet when I was down there, it cost something like a hundred dollars a month and it was 15 kilobits a second. And, uh, I would, I would still download the JB shows that were video, because there was a lot of torrenting on those uh, on those shows when they were released, and so I just set it up to download. And I loved using Transmission. Had a little, you know, uh, System seventy six Meerkat that was my, you know, kind of download machine, um, and just prepped those files. And I set up a movie server for uh, the team down there because again, there's no Netflix at fifteen kilobits a second, right? So you were the Netflix, yeah. right? So <laughs> between JB shows and other shows, I'd keep us. Uh, so we all had some place to escape to. Um, but the job there was really stressful. Um, we had to interface directly with the Afghan army a lot and try to help and train them. And it was also at a time where we were leaving the country. And so from a system standpoint, that's a really dangerous time period. And, and, uh, because if we're leaving the country, um, then things are going to revert back to normal. And if these guys are seen as helping the Americans, then it doesn't look good for them and their family, you know, puts their family in jeopardy. And so we had, um, I think we had four interpreters when we started, two of them, uh, were caught trying to kill us, um, or sell information that would allow people to kill us. Um, and so we had to fire them and, and things like that, but it was a very high stress environment. It was very frustrating because it didn't feel like we were going to win. You know, there was no victory defined by Congress and other things. And so it was very hard. And, uh, immediately after that deployment, I had to I came home and then had to turn around and go back to uh, some some technical training. And so with with all these deployments, except for the first one, I've never been able to kind of just park my butt, reset, and be around people that knew me before and after uh, these things happen. And um, because of that change in transition, um, I've ended up with, with PTSD. And uh, uh, and there's a couple different ways to get this. One of them is, you know, the, the common classic you see it in the movies, people are faced with traumatic events. Um, the other way to get it is to be in uh, traumatic stress environments, high stress environments for a long duration of time with no opportunity to reset or escape. So the high stress becomes your normal, I guess, right? It does. It, it very much does. It's kind of like building a highway in your brain is the way I describe it. That hurts already. Just even imagining what that might feel like, right? I bring this up because one of the stories I want to tell for for the team that has been doing Jupiter Broadcasting, you know, and the alumni from Jupiter Broadcasting, is, you know, i've I've had to I've had to reset a lot um, and reframe a lot, and it's taken a lot of work. By the time I got to Boise, I was so broken. This is only a couple of years ago. I was so broken that I'd get in, in the lane that I could 
on-ramp and off-ramp, but I'd never change. And it didn't matter if I was stuck. I, I couldn't change. I didn't feel confident changing lanes, you know, driving on the freeway. I guess because there's a, an inherent risk that you might miss your stop or that you got to, yeah, there's a risk. And that would throw off an expectation and that would make life hard. Um, and and so that's that's how bad I, I was. But I was very grateful that when I was dealing with that stress, I could escape and, you know, enjoy the content from the JB shows. Like they were just, they were, it was nothing to do with what I was dealing with. It was something cool and exciting and building something that was going to be productive. And here I was trapped in an environment where even if I were to help that army unit be as productive as possible, the system that they were surrounded by was going to undo everything I was doing as soon as I left. And it, it just that hopelessly frustrating situation. Um, and so, so part of this is, man, just, just thank you guys. Like, thank you for giving me that escape. That thank you is so huge, right? Like, I feel like for those of them who've been behind the microphone and, and the camera, obviously for some of the video shows, um, you never really know the audience you're reaching. Uh, you produce the material in studio, you know, you imagine surely some people will listen to it and definitely a lot of people do. Um, but you never really know on an individual level who you're reaching and what that impact is delivering. Right. And so to hear these stories come back, even like years later, I would imagine for the team who was involved in that stuff, it's like a huge, massive boost in the, the personal energy that you put into creating this content. A, because you're super dedicated to it, but also because that dedication from the listeners is the connection that we make between each other, right? And that's really powerful stuff. I feel like that is the reason that we are a huge community. It's like we all have some stuff in common and help each other in ways that we don't even realize. So I, I run a very unpopular blog right now, right? Okay. <laughs> and I've run a very unpopular blog for like two years-ish now, right? There's 7 billion people on the planet. 15 of them accidentally click one of my li links a day, right? <laughs> oh, that kind of unpopular. Yeah, yeah that kind of unpopular. <laughs> And so I've had to, to reset how I look at that. And this, this applies to this as well as somebody in India clicked on my blog, right? Like, how cool is that? When I was growing up, connecting with somebody in India or China or any of these places would have been unheard of, right? But some computer in India or China, okay, yeah, you guys are technical and you're probably going to tell me it's just some scam bot. I got that, right? But, but it clicked on my blog. Like, that's, that's still cool that we're that connected. And, and to think of what that means, I, I'm sure the guys who worked on Warty Warthog or whatever it was in 2005 never realized that we would, we would wait three days for that sucker to download so we could throw it on a server just to see, you know, what's, what would stick, right? That obviously means that it's really valuable if you're willing to wait that long, right? So, so it feels like the code that people are writing in the same way that the JB shows is like, it's, it's affecting people in major ways. Exactly, right? You can't discount the one, you know, we look at the numbers in aggregate, right? And the numbers in aggregate um, don't help us connect with the the individuals or the individual use cases that are oftentimes really powerful and, and what they do. I ended up inheriting an old system in Iraq or no, in Afghanistan and ended up giving it to one of the Afghan guys, right? And guess which operating system I threw on there? Hmm, let me see. Not Vista? <laughs> <laughs> no, not Windows. Um, 
No, and it was it was this old Lenovo somebody had given me with a cracked screen. But for those people in that environment, it was a valuable tool that they could learn from. And so I threw on 1004, which to me was just the pinnacle of classic Ubuntu. 1004 was just all, everything about it made sense and it was so good. And now my kids run uh, Ubuntu Mate. It gives them the versatility and it gives them that same sort of feel. But, you know, you kind of want to tell Martin Wimpress, Martin, my kids are learning computers using the code that you're, you know, working with your team to create. Like, how cool is that? Like, that's their experience, right? And and why Ubuntu Mate? Well, because I know if I throw them in there, they can customize it 10 ways from Sunday without really breaking it. And then when they get behind whatever system they end up using in the future, they're kind of agnostic to the, the workflow, right? They can figure out any workflow on any system that's out there, Um because of that experience of of working with you know Linux and Ubuntu and those sorts of things and the way that the user interface is designed, yeah, that versatility is like priceless and reminds me of the gift that you gave to to some of your um, partners. Uh, was it in Iraq when you were teaching them some of the communications stuff with c- computers too? It's like you're doing the same thing with your kids. That's powerful stuff. You're giving them tools for the future, and and you know those are future. Linux users, I would imagine. So, so one thing working on my undergrad in that communications that wasn't really technical, right, is uh, I did have one teacher who was technically minded, and she was actually doing a study on how um, the computer actually trains you, right? It is, it is an interactive part. People um, interact with their operating systems the same way they do with people. And the brain, it has trouble noticing the difference. That's why we have to manage screen time these days, right? Because the brain has trouble noticing the difference between am I interacting with a person or am I interacting with, you know, a software or, you know, type of experience. And and so, again, we measure screen time. And I go back to Microsoft, Bob, because Microsoft has has misread the study that they commissioned on, on users um, because, because a, a user treats the operating system like a person or like their regular environment. Microsoft misread that. And so they created their environment to look like what a person had in real life, hence the the bookshelves and the other things like that. And so it it's one of those things like, you know, when I when I look lovingly back at Microsoft Bob and I smile because what that shows is is it's it's so classic in showing us how powerful the tools we are um, as far as our interaction with them and and what that means. Okay, I've been listening to the JB shows, but I've been consuming and using operating systems and different parts of Linux and different tools and, you know, Chris's, uh, you know, recommendations on, on software for years. And, and, and I've chosen to, even after I knew this was going to happen, I've chosen to let that be a part of, you know, how I'm wiring my brain to think through problems and work through things. And this team does it, you know, on a bootstrap, you know, budget and all those other stuff. It's like, it's what we have is amazing. Well, I feel like Linux in a way, uh, it, this is true for me, is it allows you to take older hardware or piecemeal hardware and make it useful up to today's standards, which is an amazing gift. You know, a lot of that hardware with the software that came with it, generally Windows, um, is mostly useless. Uh, and so like, for instance, you and I are talking on my X220, which came out like eons ago, if you compare it to modern hardware, but it still produces a whole bunch of magic. And it's, I've got extremely modern software on this and it's running amazingly, right? So it would otherwise end up in the landfill. And my Plex server at home is running on an old Mac Pro from 2008. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> That's awesome. 
because it has the four bays of, you know, for hard drive space that I wanted. And it was, you know, it, it just works and it works like a champ, the transcoding on that thing. And I've got friends and family for days on that, you know, banging at it. And it's, it's holding up because it's running Linux and it's, it's able to add value to all of their lives. Um, so that's, that's really cool. I'm also the sort of person that doesn't, uh, I don't tend to sit still very well. In, in what sense? Like, like that you always need to be solving a problem or that you always need to be doing something or. I have trouble sitting still physically and sitting still mentally. Um, so I've ended up writing like three books at this point, um, which is fun just cause I had something I wanted to share. Um, and I've done a lot of projects on the side and when I do something, I do a lot of it. So it's like all or, all or nothing. Right. So in college compared to what I was dealing with in my long days in, in Iraq, right. I, uh, I turned around, so this is for my bachelor's. So I decided to figure out how many credits I could do in one semester without having to get the Dean's approval. <laughs> <laughs> um, turns out at Utah state university, you can do 24 semester hours without having to get the Dean's approval. And I did all 24 and ran a 5k that raised money for charity and had our third kid. So that was, that was pretty good. And then the next semester it was, it was, Hey, this academia thing likes publishing. Um, I'm going to write a paper that gets published. And I did that as an undergrad, which was a lot of fun. Um, so, so that was cool. And then, uh, you know, coming back from Afghanistan, I started working on my master's preparation for leaving the military and that sort of stuff. And, uh, sort of really, really, um, had a job in Germany that required a lot of my attention. I was in command of 138 soldiers. We had, um, we had a 34% turnover every year because of rotations that they're just naturally scheduled. And the Russians invaded the Ukraine. So I was constantly sending communications teams out to Latvia, Lithuania, Spain, you know, and all England. Um, where are some of the other places they went? They went to Israel uh, one time. Uh, lots of things in Germany, lots of things in Poland. Um, and so I was sending teams out all over the place and working on my master's on the side. And my master's program did not include, so it was distance education and did not include lectures. And it was, I wanted to be an IT project manager. So they had the program for that. Cool. Great. There's a few IT classes. There's a bunch of project management classes, put them all together in Bob's your uncle. And without any lectures, understanding the context of the content, because I'm, I'm, I'm a self-learner, but a lot of times when you Google something, you only get the answer you need, right, for that specific problem. Not the greater picture. Right. So if we take something basic like, you know, how does, how does TCP IP work, right? You might find uh, the instructions to configure it on Windows, but that doesn't really explain, you know, all of the parts of how it works and was designed and, and those sorts of, you know, things. And so you miss that context. And it was about this time that um, I I was struggling in my classes that I just started paying a little more attention to the the TechSnap show um, back when Chris and Alan were doing that. And Chris always, I, I think I have the introduction memorized, you know, <laughs> he, he would get on like his baseball announcer voice, right? And he'd be like, and, and joining me are, is Alan Jude, you know, the tech, the admin and the teacher, you know, and Alan would break down, has this snack to break down complex concepts into ways that the audience can understand, right? You're not insulting the technical folks in the audience and you're really allowing the folks who aren't quite there yet to bring them in. And so Alan and Chris were essentially my teaching duo for, they were the lectures I needed to get through my coursework for those IT classes. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> oh, that's huge. And it, it sounds like perfect timing too, right? It, it was. Oh, and my goodness, the show notes, they do such a good, they did such a good job on those show notes that what I would do is I would go through and I'd be like, okay, I can write that into a paper. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to write that into a paper. I'm going to write that into a paper. So I'd be on my little commute, right? And I'd, okay. All right. So I'm listening to TechSnap. This is what's going on. And then other stuff from last would tie off with it. And, you know, I'd, I'd pull all these things together. And so by the time I'd sit down on the weekend, because that was the only time I had time. I was working 14 hour days on the job and come home uh, on the weekend. And I don't think my family really saw me much in Germany. Um, and I'd sit there and lock myself in a room for all of Saturday and most of Sunday and just start cranking out papers. But thanks to the show notes, right, the research was basically done. I didn't have to go Google where to find the sources. I had the list of the sources. I could go back and read the articles. I could pull out the relevant material. I could put that together and submit it for my professors. And academia, at least for this university, was not as cutting edge on tech, you know, as as I would have liked them to be. And I was, the teachers were writing me back and really impressed with my sources and, you know, kind of, kind of appreciative that I was helping keep them current as opposed to just referencing something published in an academic journal, you know, and I, I'd mix it up, right? I'd, I'd use academic journals as well, but, you know, that it totally reduced my research load to have all of that JB content and be able to to get my master's that way, which was just just awesome. To hear that one of the shows helped you get through your master's is like, that's unbelievable. And like, so valuable, like unbelievably valuable. It's amazing. So, it, well, let's put this into perspective. 15 people visited my blog in the last 24 hours. One of them was from India, right? So Chris has been producing content for over 10 years now, it feels like. So some at some point, it's going to stick with one or more audience members and hey, I'll be the one for today. And maybe there's another one out there and you know, two or three people and you can sleep well at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's 7 billion people in the world. It's about time you made a difference for one of them. No, I'm totally kidding. It's, it's, I really am appreciative of it. And I know there's a bigger network than that. I just, I'd never get to see him because I've never made it to Linux Fest Northwest to see that crew or any of the other conferences. Did you ever get a chance to meet any of them? I, I did get a chance to meet Chris. So I'm working on my master's, I'm working on my PTSD issues, I'm leaving the army, and I have no job, right? There's there's nobody that's jumping out. I've only lived in Boise at that point for like a year, so I don't have a professional network of people that want to hire Jacob. I'm trying to build that network, and I'm working on my master's, and so I apply for a job just, just so I could get an interview, right? I was just throwing my resume out there just so I could get an interview. And this guy ended up picking me up and wanting me to be an intern at his uh, entrepreneurial software development shop, you know? So, so I say, Hey, cool. Let me do my army job in the morning. When I'm done with that. I'll come over and work with you guys. And Oh, by the way, I'm working on my master's. So, you know, I was taking two master's classes at the same time and now working two jobs. It's great. It was just, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what I did is I was, I was working on that and he wanted to bring me on full time when I left the service. And so dealing with the anxiety, PTSD issues I had, oh boy, that felt really good to know that at least I had something to land on after I left the service. Instead of just avoid, I suppose. Right. And so the show that helped me the most through that process happened to not be on Netflix and it wasn't on ABC or NBC. It was also on Jupiter Broadcasting, right? And it was Coda Radio because literally this entrepreneurial shop was doing the exact same things that the Coda Radio team was doing, you know, in their entrepreneurial shop just on the other side of the country. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and and you got to understand because I was a hardware implementation guy and then I was a leadership guy, right? So I, I'm 
you're going to develop software and I have no idea how to write a line of code, but I had to at least not fake it, but understand the language. And Coder Radio really helped close the gap on that. So I'm in this position where I'm leaving the service. So I've got to turn in all my army gear at the end of this, right? And so they tell me to turn in my army gear in uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, which is in Tacoma area, right? So it's a little south of where Chris is at. And so I travel out there and on my way out there, I'm, I, I think I messaged Chris like a month out, like, hey, I'm going to be in the area. I'd really love to take you out to dinner or breakfast, something like that. And, and so we landed on breakfast and, and Hideo helped coordinate that because Chris was dealing with a lot. And oh boy, she's just so nice. And Angela, Angela in the background of all the shows. Oh, Angela is one of my favorite people in the world. And I wish she had her own show again because there's something about the way she sees tech that it's just, oh, you made it approachable for me. So, so Hideo was so nice in helping us set that up. And, and Chris uh, and had the kids that weekend. And so I bought them all. I think we met at IHOP or at Denny's. And, and so I bought breakfast for them, brought coloring books for the kids. And, and I think Chris was uncaffeinated or didn't have a good night's sleep. And, and I was, you know, extraordinarily nervous because here I'm meeting a hero of mine. You know, and I remember one of the kids was like, Dad, you're famous. And, and Chris looks at him and he says, I'm internet famous, son. It's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was not this like, oh, we got to come to this moment where I got to give him a hug and just tell him thank you and what it meant. I did get to tell him the story of, hey, I've got this job offer, I can land. But, you know, with the kids there and everything else like that, we kept the conversation pretty light. And I never got to tell that whole backstory of, man, I've been, I've been, I've had issues building up with me for years and those highways in my head that I've got to try to, you know, disconnect and, and, uh, and short, short circuit, right. So I can be, be functional and how just having that offer available, you know, meant so much to me, um, and how his team has helped to produce that over the years. I mean, you're making differences in people's lives and it's just awesome. Um, and I think he got it, Right. I'll have to find out later on, you know. Right. We'll see what he says after this. <laughs> guys, guys communicate differently. Right. Um, sometimes you don't have to say things. And, and for those of you guys that may know somebody, for those in the audience that may know somebody who is dealing with PTSD or other issues, one of the best things you can do is just sit next to them. It sounds really weird, but just sitting next to somebody when they're, when they're having a moment where they're disconnected or they zone out. Don't say anything until you're asked, but just sitting there makes all the difference. It is so, so comfortable to have that. The power of presence, right? Yeah. Uh, now, as cool as that story is, I didn't end up taking that job. <laughs> <laughs> this is a twist I did not expect. <laughs> That's cr- I, the the shop was about to go through a really hard period in order to make the transition in the shop that I would need to, to be functional. Um, I didn't have the experience to be able to stand up to, I mean, it's a small 10 person, 15 person shop, right? Um, and I didn't have the experience to be able to, to confidently say no to the boss when I needed to. And I knew that. And I didn't want to be in that position where he did hire me for three months and then have to let me go because we had a professional disagreement and I couldn't back up what I was saying. Um, but where I've landed is absolutely great. Um, uh, so Idaho is known for, I'm quizzing you, Idaho is known for what, Brent? Do you know? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is potatoes. That is absolutely correct. So 
<laughs> in Pocatello, I believe. Um, yeah, that's one of the areas. There's quite a few, actually. <laughs> I get to work for the JR Simplot Company as one of their project managers, um, and I'm on a great team. Um, and uh, the JR Simplot Company is known for being the largest supplier of McDonald's French fries in the world. No way. And now we do way more than that, right? We have way more going on than just McDonald's. But um, that's best what we're known for. Um, and so the team I get to work with is great. And what's neat here is I've got that mentor gap is closed. Right? I, had a, I had a mentor gap in a lot of my other experiences, whether it's me learning IT or me in that entrepreneurial shop. You know, and, and oh, by the way, I have such great memories of all of that, right? That, that shop was so, so good at what they did. We helped reorganize their hiring process, right? And they ended up making the Inc. 500 because they were able to hire people so quickly and get the right talent in. It was like 69% improvement in a four-week period or something like that when I sat down and looked at how we were, how the process was. Once you, once you, do, once you do a process map on it, you know, you can, you can build things out from there. Um, and one of the things I do at work here and one of the ways I got the job here, so I, I came on as a contractor and then they picked me up full-time at a moment where they were getting rid of all their contractors and they didn't have a whole lot of open positions. So I'm really lucky. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons they picked me up here is because I'm the sort of guy that uh, I'm, I'm, I just want to help get the workflow done, and I know a lot of tools to do it. And so I'm able to to jump in and help people like get through things. And again, that goes back to the shows and the content from and the experience with running Linux is you have to figure it out, right? You've learned. We've all learned. If you're listening to the show, you have a gift that you may not realize. You have learned how to build your workflow in stuff where there may not be good documentation, right? Where the software may be buggy and where nobody's going to spell it out for you. And oh, by the way, if you find a YouTube video, it's probably going to be somebody's hobby project with 300 views. It's so true. (laughs) You and I have both done photography, right? If I want to know how to create a mask in Photoshop, I have 600 videos to choose from, right? Yeah. In all versions of Photoshop, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You get a dark table. We just don't have the community there. So you had to learn it on your own. And then has made me a powerful force for good at work um, with helping people uh, be productive and get their content out there. And then, you know, changing the culture is, is a part of it too. I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm influencing culture. Our project team is about 300, right? Or uh, 200 right now, and it's going to be about 500 in the next six months. And so the project culture is going to impact the broader culture of this company that, you know, is is globally known for producing really good food products, including good French fries. So that's amazing. So so it must feel to you like you're making a massive difference still in the work that you're doing and that I would imagine feels really good, especially coming from some of the previous experiences you've had. Yeah. So you remember that frustration I had about Afghanistan where it didn't feel like my effort was going to make a difference at all, right? I can make a difference individually, right? I, and we did. One of the one of our interpreters uh, is now living in the United States. He was he was able to to come and move his family, and so he's safe. His family's safe, um, and he's he's down in Texas and and really doing well. And I've, I've kept in touch with him a couple times a year. Um, but but now on the other side of it is I'm a part of the company. His mission statement is we help feed the world, right? And they've got a challenge statement downstairs that says, can you think big enough to feed a billion people? Yes. Okay. That's a challenge. Right. And, and so, and so that's, that's where we're going as a company and what I feel like I'm contributing to. And then Carl Sagan once said, 
that the advances in science and agriculture have done more for creating world peace and lifting people up out of poverty than any war has ever done or ever will do. Um, and I'm totally paraphrasing. Yeah, fair enough. It still had the impact. <laughs> wow. So now I'm on the other side of that coin, right? I'm on I'm the other side of the coin where it's like, hey, I, I don't always directly get to see who I impact, you know, at the at the end of where people consume our products. But I do get to see the impact of the people who are helping to do that. And I they like working with me and I like being around them. And and it's getting me to the point where I can be human functional has been a, a been an interesting road and getting me to the point where I can be technical functional. All these things have kind of merged recently. And then one of those arms is the JB audience. So I get to share that with you guys today. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. The JB community, you know, I've been in it in a deep way only for a few years now. And it feels like just a massive family, right? Where some people you're closer to. And as time shifts, you get closer to other people. For you, the shows were that family for a long time. And they were the like the person sitting beside you silently, you know, in your ear while you're doing those commutes in in various situations and places, right? Chris has spent a lot of time on the quality over the years. And and part of it is to create that intimacy between the audience and and the hosts. And so it literally like look, I I can't tell any of these people apart, you know, <laughs> you know, if I ever meet them, but it's the, it's the, um, it feels like there's a connection there and they, they spent the time to make sure that things were good enough that that could exist. Um, and then the difference that it makes because it exists, um, somebody has got to say thank you around here because, you know, th- this is only the first 10 years of JB, you know, what is, what is the next 10 years, you know, oh, wow. look like, right? Like, that's the challenge statement right there. Can you think big enough to feed a, mil- a billion people right on my end, right? And you guys have this challenge statement of, you know, reaching more people and making more of a difference. That's massive. I feel in many ways completely honored to help craft that challenge um, from hearing your story. That's really unbelievable. But the way you do these interviews um, and and the way L talks and, and the cast now, you guys and Wes and... and Chris has just always been solid on this is you, you guys are not in, you're making the content approachable for people who are not technical. And that makes such a big difference um, because not a whole lot of people have that gift. And the fact that there's this many people that have that gift working at JB is just really cool. I mean, Linux Academy, like snatching you guys up is just got to be so happy and thrilled because that's part of what they do too, is, is helping to make content you know, approachable, you know, at different levels of knowledge. Yeah, there are certainly these great synergies happening there for sure. And I think as listeners, you're, you're seeing some of that benefit for sure. Um, and for you, it feels like, you know, what what is JB going to be for you in the next few years? You know, what are you hoping to get out of it? Oh, yeah, if I get to choose my own adventure. <laughs> Because it's been part of your life for the <laughs> for the last little while there. So what do you need next? We'll give it. <laughs> and, and I think extras.show, um, if if I had my if I had all the time in the world, right? I would I would create a um content for extras uh for the, the extras feed on fonts. Oh man. 
That is a rabbit hole. Isn't it? Right? Um, But we so often overlook the systems in our lives that make a difference, right? We don't notice. Um, There's a story of a guy who uh, said thank you when he picked up his coffee one morning. And then his kid's like, well, or the the barista was like, well, don't thank me. Thank so-and-so who delivers the beans, right? And he ended up having like a year. He wrote a book on this, right? About spending like a year saying thank you to everybody that involved him getting his coffee and how connected we are, right? And, and, and so fonts are part of that system where we just don't notice, right? Like it's, it's, it, I mean, you probably do cause you do photography and you're graphically minded, right? But, but most of the people, when I walk around and I'll, I'll gripe about, you know, Helvetica or Ariel or something like that, they'll be like, what does it matter, Jacob? You know? And it's like, no, it matters. <laughs> you know, uh, my Halloween shirt was the word Helvetica written in Comic Sans, which is the only time Comic Sans should ever touch my body. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you get it. I think Cheese is going to love hearing this. <laughs> so, and oh my goodness, I haven't mentioned it, those graphics that he's designed. Wow, like way to get the theming down so it totally works in my podcast app, guys. Like it makes it so much more approachable. Oh, that usability stuff is like just like what you mentioned. If you don't, like obviously you're noticing it now, but there are some professions that are um, that have the challenge that if they're done well, nobody notices. Yes, yes. It, uh, and it, it just takes asking questions like, how did this happen? You know, why do people care so passionately about X, right? And then understanding the why. And and you can disagree with their solution or their, their the end result of their thought process, right? But understanding the why just makes it so it makes so much sense. Um, I was listening to the Ubuntu podcast and they were talking about uh, flat earthers. And I didn't even know that was a topic, man. I didn't know it was topic. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so so and I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, how did they get to this point? Like how how did they get to and I started listening to, you know, some of the commentary both sides and, and realizing that, oh, oh, okay, they just reject any evidence that they can't see or touch, and then that leads them to this conclusion. Oh, it totally makes sense. I can I can get along with flat earthers now. You know, like like I don't agree with them. Well, and you know what? I think that is the right approach to most problems is like, okay, if I don't understand it, I shouldn't um, resist it or, or be aggressive towards it. I should ask questions to try to understand their perspective. I think you totally nailed it. Uh, and that's hugely valuable. So when you, you see the differences in how, like, I would really love to know why when Ubuntu went back to GNOME, right, versus KDE, because KDE was, in my mind, from a user experience, was much more sure my mouse worked, right? Like, you know, you have those odd issues on Linux. I've never had a conversation with Mark Shutterworth, but as his benevolent dictator for life, you know, like, hey, man. Can you walk me back a few steps to say how you got there? Because I see the results. And now, though, like, oh, my goodness, they've done such a good job in that space, you know, um, that it's really awesome. And one of the other things I wanted to share in this is there's a difference in how we compute. Like this audience, there's a difference in how they compute. Most of the people I work with see their machines as allowing them to be productive, and the Linux community sees a computer as allowing them to be expressive, well said. That's such a big difference. Right. And so so then we get to choose, right? Once you realize that you want to be expressive, then you get to choose, how do I want to be expressive? And that's where all the options come in. And so that 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 some of that infighting that was a lot more prominent back in the day where this is better than that, right? It's like, no, 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 it's not better. This is how I choose to be expressive, you know, and we need to recognize that. And right now my choice is I'm... Guys, I, I hate to admit it to you. I'm running a MacBook Pro, um, and I love it. 
because I love Final Cut and a few of the other things. And that doesn't discredit any of the work in the Linux community. You're still powering at least five systems in my house or three systems in my house in various ways, you know, but it's how I choose to be expressive with the tool. Um, and, and where, where's that road going to lead me? You know, I don't know what that next phase of this looks like, but I feel like I can, I can be more expressive in every aspect or every challenge I come up with in life because of these experiences and learning how to use these tools and learning how to help people through things. Yeah. I feel like looking at our tools as means of expression is, is huge. Um, and you help me clarify for myself what I've felt, but not been able to explain. And because like many of us, I imagine the people surrounding me have far less interest in, in computers and Linux than I do. Like most of them, when I mention Linux, they're like, huh, what is that? Um, but the, the real gift is that this is a tool I've discovered for myself that allows me to be expressive, especially that I tend to do creative work on it. Right. Um, but even, even tinkering with software problems or hardware problems, like that's a means of expression and building my own systems. And I don't mean computer systems. I mean like systems that surround me and make me a more productive person or a better person is an amazing way to be expressive. And the JB community for me, and I would assume exactly for you as well is a way of connecting with people who also get that. And so the way you worded it, it was like, oh, I know I'm sitting beside someone who totally gets me for sure. Yeah. And, and but we may disagree, right? Like, like I, you and I both like dark table, but after that, I'm, I'm not jumping into Gimp, man. Like I just, nope, I'm good. I'll just, <laughs> whatever dark table can do. Cause I'm not a professional photographer. I'll, I'll do in dark table and then I'll walk away. And, you know, for the purposes of capturing my family memories, I'm, good enough and and that works right whereas you're probably more comfortable in there um than than i am so yeah it's just it's it's different but it's complementary and it's so cool when you see people that get it and can talk that way you guys have linux fest northwest and that's a big hoo-ha and i think that's great it's amazing one of these days i'll get there it's like my pilgrimage to mecca but not quite as important as that <laughs> well, what we have here is uh around it's usually like the Friday after the 4th of July. We have a free fry day where we give away French fries. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and if you've never been to Boise, especially downtown Boise, you've got to give it a shot, right? So right across, like the next building to us has a six-story slide. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so so you got to let that sink in for a second, right? Like, like. I remember the slide as a kid, right? Like it was cool and it felt really tall when you were small. So it's like somebody around here decided, let's do that on steroids. Let's do that for adults, right? We have a six story slide. We give away free French fries. How can you not have fun in that environment? Right, exactly, right? And then there's usually a giant octopus that like starts eating the building next door as well, which is also cool. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think they've settled on the date for free Friday next year, but if you Google it around June, July, or around, uh, uh, when we usually post that, about May, June timeframe, you'll be able to find out when free Friday is in Boise and, and the team's welcome to come. Sure, yeah. I think you just hit on something too that I've been really impressed with. The more and more I learn about the Jupiter Broadcasting community, which is that um, we're scattered a little bit everywhere, literally around the world. And I'm, I'm planning a trip to go see Alex, uh, from self-hosted, uh, we've been meaning to get connected and 
he and I have a similar trajectory into JB. So we were really, really close friends now. And, uh, and so I'm planning this trip and I was thinking like, oh, geez, well, I'm, you know, I'm close to New York. I know there's some JB listeners there and, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in Raleigh and I'm, I'm close to like, maybe I might end up in Savannah. I know there's some people there. I might go see Drew. And so it's like, all of a sudden my like daily life, or at least these special trips that I do, which is almost daily, um, end up being connected, all the dots being connected by uh, Jupiter Broadcasting community members. And that feels like, okay, I've got a family anywhere I go now, which is so powerful. And I feel like you as a JB community member, if you chose to go anywhere, you can, you can find someone, right? And, uh, and that invitation you just gave gets given all the time. And it's just like such a beautiful thing. So thank you for, for putting that out there. It's massive. Well, and, and we got to thank the folks who make the swag happen because one of the towns in this valley is Nampa, Idaho. And it's like, what, 80,000 people, not a whole lot, but it has a Costco. And I'm walking in Costco one day with my wife and there's somebody wearing a last t-shirt. And so it's like, Hey man, can I take a photo with you real quick? And so (laughs) we exchange phone numbers afterwards and like, you know, every once in a while we'll text back and forth like, Hey, how's it going? It's going fine. You know, but there's, there's like you know, three people I know of that are, that are huge fans of the program in the Valley. And, and that'll, there's more, I just haven't met them or connected with them. Um, cause four kids, I mean, we're running around with all kinds of activities. So I could only imagine for sure. It's a lot of fun. And it's so cool when I see that my kids don't struggle with technology because we've, they've had the experiences where something didn't work and then it became a learning opportunity. Um, and that's why when L describes learning, that's been resonating with me recently so much because it's like, oh, this is really uncomfortable for me right now. Oh, I must be having a learning experience. The reward is at the end of this. <laughs> this must be a positive thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure. Um, is there a specific um, place where L mentioned that kind of stuff that really hit you? like one of her talks or, or on one of the shows or something? I think it was something she tweeted or retweeted where it was like, you know, typical programmer life where it's like, you know, this sucks. I hate programming. 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 It worked. I love programming. You know, like, like seven lines down. <laughs> I could totally relate to that. <laughs> and you know, whoever wrote that like had to calculate out the 240 characters going backwards to figure out how many lines they could do to make it, make it meaningful. And it's like, I really, if I could double heart that tweet, that, that tweet, I totally would have, because it's like, I understand the thought behind this. (laughs) You mentioned when we were chatting a few days ago, um, you mentioned something called the theory of constraints and you got my ears up and I'm very curious about that. And I know nothing about it. So I was wondering, can you give us like a theory, theory of constraints 101? Yes. So the, oh, I love this theory. It's so awesome. Um, so one of the things that's great here is it labels itself as a theory. So if it doesn't work in your world, then, hey, it was just a theory, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but the theory of constraints says that for any uh, process that has several steps, right, one of those steps will be the constraint. Okay, and this came out of manufacturing, right? So if you have five different work centers, right, and the first work center can do five widgets an hour, the second one can do four, the third one can do three, right, and then the last two can each do five, right? Your constraint is the one that can do three. So you really don't need to worry about the other ones because the only constraint in the system is the one that can do three. But if you have local um, measurements on each of those um, work resources, right, you're going to encourage the guys that can do five to do five. You're going to encourage the guy that can do four to do four. And and then the guy that does three is sitting there and they've got a whole bunch of back 
you know, backstock, right? Or backlog sitting in front of them and they can't do anything about it. Um, because that's, a, that's their capacity. So the theory of constraints is kind of like five steps on how to identify that um, and then what you can do to protect the constraint and then what you can do to improve the constraint and then how you can continue to repeat that system and go through it. Um, and it was written by uh, a physicist, right? So so you know, take solutions from one discipline and bring them into another, right? So physicists like to look for a common denominator among things. And so when he was called to do some manufacturing consultant, he tried to say, well, what's the common denominator in manufacturing? And this is what he came up with. His name was Eliyahu Goldratt. Um, and uh, he's written several books after that. And it's just been really great. And, and from the project management side, when you can, when your brain's wired to see something as a system, right, when you can identify the constraint and support the constraint and then be able to protect the constraint, it allows that system to be more productive um, and is really um, a very, very helpful uh, tool to use. I also wondered for you how that got applied in your personal life even because, you know, you and I both have minds that are wired to see our lives as systems. And so I imagine it carried over for you. So it happened by accident the first time. Those 24 semester hours in college was, be, and I didn't know about the theory of constraints in, in my in my undergrad work, but uh, it came about because I realized that I was spending most of my time doing research. And so it was like, okay, well, how can I, how can I make my research uh, I can I can keep it the constraint, but I can maximize the output of that constraint. And so what I did is I figured out that you can hack college by taking complementary classes. So you can do a full semester where you're doing, um, you know, international business uh, and learning the communication styles you need to be successful there and combine that with your English class. So you can take your English 201 or whatever the case may be. And you can combine that with a public speaking class and you can combine that with a rhetoric class, right? And then you can throw your math class in there for good measure. So that way you're not, you know, falling behind on what you should be working on. But but when you when you combine all of that stuff, and then there were a few other classes I took on the on the side as well. But when you combine all that stuff, what's beautiful about that is you can take the research from one discipline and one class and bring that as a source into another one. So you're still writing five, six, seven different papers, right? But there's clearly an overlap between them, right? Yes. And it it allows you to leverage that going forward. And so when we take a look at our lives and we say, okay, well, where's my constraint? Right. So I don't like not being able to learn. I'm a lifelong learner, right? My commute's a half hour. And so I listen to podcasts and I listen to audiobooks because now that half hour is not constraining me from learning. I'm, I'm learning. I've been learning so much recently, I've had to turn it off and just have quiet <laughs> on the way home for about 10 minutes. Um, and it wasn't because of stress, it was because I need to absorb and, and get that into my head. So there's different ways of doing that. When you're look at your system and your photography workflow and figure out, hey, where's my constraint and and what does that look like? And you don't want to remove it. You want to hack it. You want to make it more powerful. If it's really bad, yes, you can absolutely, re, you know, like adjust it so it's no longer the constraint. But then you're going to have to go looking for it again. So sometimes it's valuable just to, hey, let's leave this be the constraint, but build the workflow around it and figure out how to how to make things better. Yeah. I like how one of the aspects you mentioned in that um, process is to protect the constraint. Uh, and that feels like, oh, wait, we always want to like uh, break down the things that aren't working or like uh, get rid of them, like you were saying. But but that protection piece feels really meaningful. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to dive into that. Well, and a lot of the audience will be familiar with Kanban boards. 
And what you need to recognize when you're using a Kanban board is you're protecting the constraint because you're letting the constraint not be distracted by having to give a status update, right? And so because somebody can walk up to the board, right, whether it's digital or physical, it doesn't matter. They can walk up to the board and they can see what is currently going on and what the status is. So as long as your users are disciplined, as long as your resources are disciplined to update the board, you know, and that becomes accurate, then you're protecting the constraint. And and one of the ways that you can use to explain that to them, because they'll grok it pretty quickly, is if, because some people are like, I just get work done. Just leave me alone. I just get work done. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. I need you to not only get the work done, I need you to just do this little thing, little admin thing every, you know, sometimes hourly, right? But more often, you know, once or twice a day to let people know where things are at and reset yourself. And I do that with my boss right now. It's like I showed up and I had a different tool set in mind than he did. And I said, look, dude, I'm, I said, Said, I'm going to put my tool set over here and you're going to have visibility to it all the time. You're not going to have to wonder what I'm doing. It's going to be right here. And, and he's been learning how to use the tool and be able to see what's on my plate and be able to say, hey, this has been sitting there for a while. You know, we can have that dialogue now. Um, so it's been helpful. Wow. That's an amazing uh, tool. I am very jazzed to integrate it into my own <laughs> pieces. So thank you for sharing that. It's awesome. Uh, I wondered, uh, Jacob, if you, if there's anything that you wanted to share with the community, uh, kind of an ask, something you maybe want them to try or think about. There's, there's two things here. One's selfless and one is selfish or self-interested. Oh, I like this. Okay. So, so the first one is to, to tie off with your interview with Wimpy about poo-pooing on other people and their projects. And, and mine's, mine's just a little different twist is whether you're a user or a consumer or producer in that space, uh, take the time to be grateful for what it is. Um, you know, and maybe that means disconnecting first to really think through what that is. We're using code, right? That's 20, 50, 30 years old, right? Have we ever bothered to say thank you, right? The, the guy who invented Bash, I heard an interview he did. I, what a totally realistic story. He invented globbing before he invented quotes. And I'm, I, I don't know if too many people under, there, there's a part of the audience that gets that right off of me saying that, but, <laughs> but what that means is that he sat there and he, as he was wielding out bash, he figured out how to do the, you know, asterisk, you know, delete asterisk everything, right. You know, type of thing. Right. So he was, he was working. And so uh, on on making sure you can use the asterisk and it would delete all the things. And as he was doing that, he, he decided to delete all the working files that he had in a particular directory. So he put that particular directory or per, a particular thing in quotes and ended up deleting everything on the system and had to start over and rewrite Bash. That's one way to learn. <laughs> and I think I think Bash is better because of it. But when you realize that there's a human story behind it, oh my goodness, doesn't it make it easier to just say thank you for sticking it out? And finishing that, you know, thank you guys for sticking it out and finishing that, even if I may not be using it right now, because it may not be how I want to express myself. Pause, take a moment, say thank you to somebody, handwritten card, a post on Twitter. So pick your favorite host, pick your favorite, you know, uh, tool and and find a way to tell the person thank you um, in a way that that just lets them know you, you cared. Um, and so that's the selfless ask uh, that's out there. The other one is, is... Um, you know, like I said, my blog is really unpopular. I wonder what it would be like if it were popular. <laughs> so, Tell us a little bit what it's about, what you put down there, how you're dedicated to it, what you'd like people to get out of it. 
Um, so I've never been able to run an agile project. The military runs waterfall. The projects I've been on at work are waterfall oriented. And I wanted to try something that was completely agile. And so uh, listening again, the Ubuntu podcast was influential in this, where I think it was uh, Popey was saying that he would just do a Twitter kind of audio feed and then send that out, or not Twitter, it was over uh, Telegram. He did his Telegram feed. And I was like, wow, that's like podcast MVP. Like I've got an iPhone. I'm just going to go ahead and start recording something to call it a podcast. And, and so I've been adding every week or every two weeks, I will change the workflow because I'll look at my constraint and I'll change the workflow one or two steps. And I'm getting close now where it's like, okay, once I've got episode numbers, this thing's legit and it's happening. And I think I'm about a week away. And that's been another thing too. It's like, as first it's just, I'm just going to talk. We'll figure out what the topic is later. And where I've landed over the last couple of weeks is taking curiosity and gratitude and taking a look at the people and systems in our lives that that make a difference. Um, they're about five minutes, and it sometimes gets real nerdy and weird. Like, like there's, oh my goodness, what was it yesterday? This might not make it a family show. We'll find out. But um, synonymous words don't equate to the same thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and if you understand English as a system, right, then this becomes really cool. So English is a system and I like exploring English. So, but dial, right? Okay. means that your phone made a call. Now, but and booty are synonymous, right? Your butt and your booty are the same thing. <laughs> I see where this is. <laughs> All right, continue. And, and, and dial and call, right, are synonymous words as well. But butt dial is not booty call. Right, right. <laughs> One may lead to the other. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't take it that way in the episode when I recorded it, but you're not wrong. Um, one of the things that does for us, though, and I like to point this out in the show, is it means that even though you may be using synonymous language, right, you may not be conveying the same message. And so let's stop and take a look at what is the language we're using, when are we understood, and when are we not understood, so that way we can be more productive. And that's kind of the way I take it is, you know, find something that I enjoy, a little bit curious about and obscure, and then and then pull that together and and uh, having fun. So, so I did my challenge on this. I challenged the user error, guys. What is the most useless job that you would be willing to do? Oh, interesting. Right. So most useless job that you'd be willing to do. And mine is absolutely really fun. So I'll tell you mine while you think of yours, Brent. So most useless job that you'd be willing to do. And mine is, uh, you know, from having worked for the government, I know they're pretty ineffective and ineffectual. And so they, they create a lot of jobs that I consider useless or not value add. And um, so you have to find a position where one of those jobs that are created by requirement you know, there's not actually the requirement on the ground. And so what I came up with was I would love to be a lifeguard at the Olympics. <laughs> totally useless. And then as I was talking on the show and recording it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the greatest reality TV show ever. If the Olympics goes to <laughs> Los Angeles, and I think it might be scheduled to, if the Olympics is going to Los Angeles, somebody should create a reality TV show where they get people to compete for being lifeguards, right? And then at the end of it, help them realize that it's the most useless job ever, right? Because you'd be this great competition, like these really buff, you know, strong guys. And then at the end of it, you'd be like, hey, by the way, you're just going to sit there for eight hours a day while you're watching Michael Phelps. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that wasn't the question, right? The question is the most useless job you'd be willing to do. So, Brett, do you have, do you have a most useless job that you'd be willing to do? In the same kind of vein as yours, I would be willing to do something where I get to observe people. Uh, I think connecting with people, uh, 
is super powerful. So maybe it would be like, I don't know, something like greeting the greeters at Walmart or something like that, you know, uh, where I can just like watch people and their behaviors and just kind of enjoy life and people's lives for what they are. I think something like that would be pretty interesting. So yours is actually trying to add value. You're so wired that way, Brent. That, that, that is awesome. Right? No, it, it tells you something about your personality. You are wired to connect with people. And, and you really do a good job of it. And that is one of the reasons, um, for those who, who aren't quite aware, this is the first time at this large of an audience that I've ever really talked about some of the things I've dealt with in my past. And one of the reasons for that is because of the way that the, the, the way that you as a host connect with the audience and connect with your, your guests. Um, and it's, this has felt really comfortable and I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I feel so completely honored to help you tell that story. Uh, I feel like it has been obviously a super important story for you uh, with massive growth in it and vulnerability, of course, uh, and to see where you are now. Uh, you're still taking those experiences you've had and giving gifts to the people around you, which is really powerful. And so if I could have some way of helping you spread that message, I feel like uh, I feel like that's a total honor. So thank you for reaching out to me with it. That's, it's huge. If people want to get connected with you to say thanks, since you put that, that challenge out there, where, where do you think you would send them? Well, the blog podcast, YouTube channel thing is all parkingthought.com, right? So the idea is I take my drive out or I take my thoughts out for a bit of a drive and then I share them with you when I park. Um, it's a one take sort of deal. It's going to stay a one take sort of deal. Um, and it's honestly my morning coffee. Well, I don't drink coffee, but it's kind of like my morning coffee because it, it gets me starting to practice communicating before I go into work a lot of times. And so that, that helps me prepare for the day and gives me a frame to think through. So yeah, so you're welcome to find me there. Twitter is on there as well. <laughs> right. We'll find all the goods there. That's amazing. Uh, Jacob, Thank you so much for this chat. It's been a huge pleasure. Uh, thank you for your time connecting. And uh, I definitely hope that we get to connect in person at some point, uh, maybe for some fries or something like that. 